Hello, my name is Josh Hirsch. I'm joined by two of the other associate editors of the JMIS. We want to thank Rob Tarr and the BMJ for giving us this historic opportunity to talk about the recently published Mr. Clean trial. Indeed, it's been less than a year and a half that our world was rocked with simultaneous publication of three negative trials in the New England Journal of Medicine. The JNIS editorial staff sprang into action at that time with Philippe Albuquerque publishing an article on the tribulations of stroke trials, which looked at some of the challenges we had faced looking at the three negative published trials. This was followed, I think, by what made this effort different, and a view on how to make trials better going forward. The group of three editors that are on the phone today published in the time that passed in search of the optimized trial design led by Dr. Fiorella and Mako, we thought about and talked about what it would take to make trials turn positive going forward. And indeed, indeed, our thoughts have been validated in such rapid order in such a short period of time. Mr. Clean has come back positive and using the unique features BMJ allows, we have published the day after Mr. Clean was published online first, two different articles, one called endovascular therapy for acute ischemic stroke is indicated and evidence-based, a position statement. That article was headed up by Dr. Mako and separately a research roadmap of future endovascular trials. So with that, I'd like to welcome my friends Jay and Dave to what I think is going to be a very exciting discussion. Welcome. Thank you, Josh. Thanks. Glad to be here. Let's start with you, Jay. Can we talk about the history of developing evidence for IA therapy, how we went from PROAC and MELT to Mr. Clean, and some other work that, that's been done recently? Whenever one sits down to take an assessment of where we stand with a particular disease state and the the overall balance of evidence in that context, it would be foolish to do that analysis in a vacuum. And the reality is is that we need to keep in mind we need to be very conscientious of what is evidence-based medicine, but also uh, always look at the evidence in the context of the times. If one looks at the developing history for evidence for intraarterial therapy, uh, they'll see that there was a positive prospective randomized trial with PROACT, followed by a trial that suggested positivity in MELT but was halted earlier because of the approval of IVTPA in Japan. And that was pretty much where we were, aside from a number of single-long trials, for quite a while. Something that's interesting was, before we got the recent three randomized trials that failed to show benefit that you mentioned earlier, a year ago, February, uh, we did get two prospective randomized trials, which, although they did not provide definitive evidence for stroke treatment, they did show definitively in high-quality adjudicated randomized trials that we were getting better, that we were getting better technologies, uh, and that the newer technologies were dramatically better than the older technologies. And I think that's an important part of the story that one doesn't want to miss. And then, a year ago last February, we had three trials that failed to show benefit. I think I'll take a little bit of a uh, 
antagonistic position to you here when you say our worlds were rocked because I, I, I feel like that's a little bit editorializing by much of the community because I will tell you that there were many of us, a great many of us, that had no expectation of those trials being positive because of the way in which they were designed and the way in which centers that performed stroke therapy routinely practiced had already evolved well beyond the methodologies of those three trials, namely including the older technologies that had already been shown in randomized trials to be less effective than the newer technologies, and not using imaging to confirm large vessel occlusion. And in fact, in the IMS-3 trial itself, which is the biggest of those three trials and the one that carries the most weight in terms of being negative or failing to show benefit. I think we should highlight that, by the way. Everyone says the studies were negative. I think that's also a little little bit of not an ideal way to say it because the, the studies actually just failed to show benefit. They showed that eye therapy was equivalent to IV TPA in those cohorts. But in any case, in the IMS-3 cohort, when they looked at those patients that had confirmed large vessel occlusion, there was actually a very strong suggestion of benefit. And this was more indicative of modern practice. And that's why the JNIS editors as a group were able to, in relatively quick fashion, address the limitations of those trials and put out the steps that we believed were necessary for a trial to really be reflective of modern practice and show benefit. And sure enough, once that was done, we got a uh, beneficial trial. Not just slightly beneficial, overwhelmingly beneficial trial. Let me pause you there for one second, Jay, because I think you've made a series of absolutely critical points. Why do I think it's fair to continue to maintain that our world was rocked? Well, our personal equipoise may not have been knocked in any direction, but in this era of evidence-based medicine, the policy folks that think about how we are going to deliver healthcare and what we're able to provide to our patients certainly paid attention to those three negative trials, and it was painful as neurointerventionalists because we knew those trials suffered from significantly suboptimal design. Nonetheless, they did seem to have the opportunity to be the last word at least for a period. I think it was in that milieu that the paper on the optimized trial design laying out some of the things that you just described, what would you need? What would you want to see a potentially positive trial? It didn't require massive changes, just changes that reflected modern practice. And there we go. We have Mr. Clean. I do think that the evolution that contextualizes the data that includes proactive melt and takes us to Mr. Clean is very important. And I was pleased that uh, you and several others, including David, did a a very interesting meta-analysis in the... uh, Uh, JNIS as well, immediately prior to release of these editorial comments. I wonder if you might uh, take a second and tell us about those. The interesting thing is there are many who would take a position as we begin to develop newer data uh, that would say, well, that's true. Now we have a positive trial, but we have three negative trials in the past. And I think that the reason why we undertook doing this meta-analysis was to actually draw attention to the fallacy of that argument. 
uh, and there's a number of reasons why, but most particularly, you have to take in the context that those prior trials did not show then, uh, any negative result as a result of receiving IA therapy. Essentially, it was an equivalent therapy to IBTPA. So if you look at the breadth of studies that have been done for intra-arterial recanalization therapies, you have PROACT, MELT, IMS3, MR Rescue, uh, Synthesis Expansion, and now Mr. Clean. And essentially what you have are two positive trials, one trial that was suggesting positivity but was halted for uh, because of the approval of IBTPA, and then three trials that showed neither benefit nor uh, worsening. And in fact, when you sum all of those data, the meta-analysis of all prospective randomized trials evaluating stroke uh, therapy intraarterially demonstrates significant benefit. And this is much more overwhelming when you do the same analysis, but for only those studies that confirmed a large vessel occlusion. If the large vessel occlusion was confirmed, you take all of the randomized trials. This is this isn't playing with the numbers. This isn't taking out little bits here and bits there, excluding people. Taking all of the patients with confirmed large vessel occlusion that got randomized across all of the different modalities, the data is overwhelmingly positive for the benefit of intraarterial therapy. And I think that that goes to show the the scientific support for treating our patients and providing this therapy for our patients. Yeah, it really was a terrific analysis. And for those who have not had an opportunity to read it yet, we will uh, include the citation in the notes that accompany this podcast. Very powerful analysis, and I salute the authors that put it together. Perhaps we can pivot to to Dave. Hello, Dr. Uh, Fiorella. So we've spoken a lot about Mr. Clean, and I guess I would just ask you, what do you think the impact of this will be as a study, and what will it mean generally for our uh, stroke caring and neurointerventional community? Yeah, so as a standalone trial, I think that uh, Mr. Clean, because it's used modern methods of triaging patients and modern interventional devices, has really completely changed the face of intervention as Jay's this chase laid out because for the first time now, we have uh, level one evidence that really supports thrombectomy and acute ischemic stroke from large vessel occlusion for patients presenting between zero and six hours. And this is something that we've never had in the past. We've had uh, a lot of studies that would uh, imply that this should work. We feel very strongly as physicians that it would work, but now we have proof that it actually does work and it's a very different situation than what we were dealing with before because really now um, interventional and non-interventional physicians alike are obligated to direct acute ischemic stroke patients to centers that are capable of providing intraarterial therapy if a large vessel occlusion is, is suspected. And so that should really uh, add a tremendous amount of support for the development of systems of care for these patients that will facilitate directing these patients to interventional uh, therapy centers. And so that's going to be a huge sea change in the way that we treat stroke um, throughout the United States and throughout the world. Another kind of segment of this is that in the past uh, few years, we've really directed most all of our research efforts to attempting to determine or to demonstrate that thrombectomy was helpful in this zero to six hour group. There were a number of concurrent studies that were going on, all with slightly different designs, uh, trying to demonstrate this. 
And now I feel that with uh, the meta-analysis that Jay's performed and the Mr. Clean data, as well as the data that are going to emerge from the ESCAPE trial and the EXPEND-IA trials, which have also been stopped early for efficacy of the uh, interventional arm, that we've lost our equipoise in our ability to randomize patients presenting between zero and six hours, that this is a settled question and that we can move on to other research questions and other research endeavors <clears throat> to try to improve outcomes for patients. I think one thing that's important to acknowledge, although Mr. Clean is overwhelmingly positive for thrombectomy, thrombectomy is certainly much better than medical therapy for these patients. If you look at the Mr. Clean data, only 32.6% of patients actually had good outcomes. So we need to find some way to do better for these other 70% of the patients, meaning we need to be able to get them to treatment earlier. We need to improve our treatments and our patient selection. We need to evolve strategies of how our outcomes can be even better than what we demonstrated in Mr. Clean. Well, that, that's absolutely terrific. And I do think the evolving question is what we will need to answer. I do think that uh, you're hitting on so many important points. But before we leave them, I think that there have been discussions in the uh, community about other trials that have been stopped, some of which we have actual evidence in the form of uh, letters or uh, emails. And I think it makes sense to take a, an assessment of what has been formally stopped with reasons that we're aware of. So Dave, within the context of publicly available information, can you uh, further comment on the other recently halted trials? Uh, yeah, to some extent. So with the stroke meeting, they're going to present the results of the ESCAPE trial, but the ESCAPE trial was a trial of patients comparing um, thrombectomy to medical management and patients presenting between 0 and 12 hours, and the patient selection was based on CT imaging with a CTA and an assessment of uh, the collaterals. And uh, the study randomized just over uh, 250 patients and uh, the DSMB uh, viewed the data after the Mr. Clean study had uh, concluded, and they came to the conclusion, the DSMB did, that it was no longer uh, ethical to randomize patients because of the overwhelming efficacy in the interventional arm, very similar to what was seen uh, in Mr. Clean. Shortly thereafter, a smaller Australian study with about 70 patients randomized called Stendia made a similar decision to stop because of overwhelming efficacy in the interventional arm as uh, compared to the medical management arm. And so uh, these two trials add you know, some additional support to the Mr. Clean trial and really, again, have created an overwhelming uh, amount of data supporting the efficacy of intraarterial intervention in this, uh, in this disease state. So, Jay, maybe I can take that set of facts and ask you a question. Many of us swallowed what we thought was our, our clinical sensibility and put patients into trials where they weren't going to get the therapy we thought was necessarily maximally effective because while we lacked personal equipoise, the issue of community equipoise truly existed amongst many of our stroke colleagues and, and others in the space. In the face of uh, Mr. Clean being positive, remembering that Mr. Clean is a study that is fitting the description of a trial we think was done right, and it seems like several other trials we know are going to be positive. What are the ethics of randomizing people away potentially from critical life-saving IA treatment? That's a great point. Well, I think there's a couple of things to to comment on with that, Josh. The first is the the idea of equipoise, and, and I think that 
I will tell you that I, I felt very supportive of all of us taking the time to enroll patients in these trials. In fact, I argued and, and sort of supported that before IMS3 and synthesis expansion and those others. The reason why is there's a big difference between us, us believing in our hearts uh, through our personal experience that something's uh, beneficial, but that doesn't undermine the reality of scientific equipoise. And for me, I believe that we, we always needed that evidence. However, as you said, we now have that evidence, and it's quite overwhelmingly, resoundingly positive. It would be much the same way if the trials had been unlike uh, IMS3 and synthesis expansion equivocal results that showed neither benefit nor harm. If, the, if these studies had come out this past year and had demonstrated overwhelming harm to patients, and we would have to stop doing and providing these therapies, but that's not the case. In terms of moving forward and equipoise, I think it's important. It's actually, I don't just think, I think it's, I, I know it's incredibly important that we, when we say it is no longer ethical to randomize these patients, we are talking about a specific subgroup. We're talking about those patients that would be appropriate for these broad evidence-based trials. We don't have all of the presentation of the findings of uh, ESCAPE yet. We don't have the early data for the Australian study, SCANDIA. However, uh, the Australian study, as far as I'm aware, targeted early patients. And ESCAPE, although it was a much later window trial, uh, it's my understanding that the vast majority of the patients were early patients, although we'll have to wait till the International Stroke Conference to know for sure. But if that's the case, then we're talking about patients with confirmed large vessel occlusions with not significant stroke burden already on their imaging who present in a relatively early time window, six hours or so. That's the population that we're talking about not being able to randomize in terms of treatment or no treatment. However, I cannot support Dave's statement more strongly that this is an opportunity for us to take all of the energy and effort we've been putting towards these, quote, definitive trials and moving towards the next level of questions in terms of improving patients. So one obvious direction to go would be to look at more delayed time windows. It is unclear that equipoise has been lost for patients that present in a more delayed time window, uh, 6 to 12 hours, or wake-up stroke. And in fact, there are two uh, ongoing trials that have not halted that are still out there and available for enrollment, named uh, one named DAWN and one named POSITIVE. And for those centers that are involved in those trials, I would strongly encourage them to uh, continue their course because those are questions that have yet to be answered. Furthermore, as Dave said, although this is incredibly exciting and encouraging results, we have to remember that two-thirds of the patients still had were debtor-dependent. Two-thirds of the patients still had very bad outcomes. And simply said, that's not good enough. And there are lots of things we need to work on, things in regards to identifying appropriate patients, things in regards to affecting better outcomes. Um, Mr. Clean was positive despite a relatively low rate of successful recanalization compared to the Lancet papers that evaluated new technology versus old technology. And therefore, 
uh, there's every reason to expect that we can continue to have further improvements in our technologies, better tools, better ways to help our patients. So there's a lot of room, and I guess what I would throw out there is it would be a real shame if our community took these positive results and said, I've lost equipoise, I'm done, it's time just to treat patients. Rather, I hope that we're able to take the momentum that we've had over the last few years and shift it to continue to refine and improve the care that we give our patients through further randomized trials. Well, that's just a terrific uh, comment, Jay. I think that focusing on outcomes really ought to be our next step. I mean, few would have believed when we went into neurointervention, however many years ago it was, I guess it varies a little bit for each of us, that we would in 2014 be proving the uh, uh, efficacy of intraarterial therapy. Certainly when I was participating in PROACT2, I thought that question was going to the answers. I do think that the study design, which was highlighted in the optimized trial design paper that uh, you and Dave uh, had written way back, talked about the importance of picking the correct control group, talked about treating the incident disease, talked about a lot of the things that occurred with Mr. Clean. I do think that aficionados will take this moment to recognize that, yes, we do have, for all the reasons that have been described, a very positive trial, but just like you said, two-thirds of people are not having the kind of outcomes we'd like to see, and there is much room for us to improve and to iteratively improve in the knowledge that these patients are now going to more likely be getting treated with really definitive therapy. And I think that makes the research prospects very positive for this field because, yes, the question of does IAT work in this select group of patients has been answered. How to optimize care has not. Dave, do you have any further thoughts on that as we get close to finishing up here? You know, targets for moving forward, I think, are, are fairly well outlined in, in the recent article that um, Rishi Gupta and the rest of the editors contributed to. And so I think uh, in moving forward and improving the outcomes for these other 70% of patients, there are a couple of key things that um, we need to uh, direct our research efforts to. The first, I think, is patient selection. And uh, with respect to patient selection, you know, our, our application of advanced imaging, uh, there's been tremendous amount of work that's been put into looking at CT perfusion and MR systems and uh, imaging sequences to try to determine which are the absolute best uh, sequences and imaging techniques to determine which patients will benefit from intervention. And I think this is really a, a key focus uh, moving forward to try to select patients, particularly as we get outside of the zero to six hour window for treatment. Uh, second big area for development is uh, optimizing systems of care for stroke patients, uh, there's been a lot of interesting work that uh, Peter Rasmussen and the Cleveland Clinic Group have done looking at uh, mobile CT imaging capability in ambulances and the potential to identify stroke patients uh, in the field and transfer them to appropriate centers for intervention, and also strategies whereby patients who are identified in the field using quick screening or techniques um, could be identified who have likely large vessel occlusion and potentially bypass smaller hospitals to go directly to larger hospitals that can offer intra-arterial therapy. Uh, as Jay mentioned, what do we do with patients who present outside of the six, zero to six hour window in terms of intervention? Uh, are those patients still 
good patient group to study or, or do we have equipoise in those patients? I think as the escape data comes out, we see what kind of numbers they have after six hours and what that data looks like, that this uh, very well could be another uh, emerging, very important uh, point of focus for research trials because many of the patients do not get to us within that six-hour window still, and so there's going to be a large segment of patients potentially who could benefit from thrombectomy beyond six hours, and so we need to figure out who those patients are. I think uh, we'll continue to iterate devices and improve our technologies for thrombectomy. Uh, in terms of the actual thrombectomy devices and techniques themselves and access products, and all these things will evolve uh, and need to be trialed and tested uh, over the next couple of years. Um, if we use a general anesthetic technique versus a local anesthetic technique is also something that has been looked at quite uh, significantly in the past, but not within the setting of a randomized controlled trial. And so while there are intriguing data that treating patients uh, under conscious sedation and local anesthesia may represent a, a better strategy for some patients who could tolerate it, we haven't yet uh, proved this. And then finally, there's a tremendous uh, vista of work to be done in the field of neuroprotection. There's actually been very uh, little done uh, successfully in these interventional stroke-type patients, and so I think these are the things that we can start looking at again to try to improve outcomes in those patients who still have poor outcomes despite the tremendous advances we've made in the, in the past couple of years. Well, definitely the opportunities abound, and again, it's on the substrate of the hard work that was done by many of these investigators to prove the value of intra-arterial therapy. I think it's uh, very clear that we're living in monumental times. As I think back across my career, my professional career, there have been very few moments where we have seen such a coming together of evidence to support the critical work that we do. Indeed, I think these moments are moments that should be cherished for for years to come as they are not easy uh, to repeat. With that, I want to thank my uh, special guests, Dr. Dave Fiorella and Jay Mako. On behalf of myself, Josh Hirsch, and Jan IS, we wish you a good day. Thank you. Thank you, Josh.